Salida, Colorado. The year is 1980, and on a sunny June day, right before a big rafting festival on the Arkansas River, a woman vanishes without a trace. Well, until that trace was found 12 years later. That summer day, back in 1980, went like this. Beverly England, a 32-year-old woman, drops her kids off with a friend who agreed to babysit them for a few hours. When the friend asks what Beverly is doing, she tells her she's going to meet a woman at the park. Hours go by, and Beverly doesn't come back to pick her kids up. But the friend doesn't think much of it. She's been late before, and this wouldn't be too unusual. But in the late afternoon... Beverly's husband, Dale, shows up at the friend's house. He asks where Beverly is because she wasn't home. Dale tells the friend to watch the kids while he goes and looks for Beverly, his wife. Dale comes back and relays he found Beverly's car parked at a nearby park, but no Beverly. Inside the car, he saw her shoes and purse. He goes back to the parked car and calls the police. No one ever sees Beverly again. That's Kathy Smith, the friend that Beverly dropped her kids off with the day she disappeared. I've made a lot of cold calls, even cold door knocks, while reporting on this story, and I'm not going to lie. I never really know how it's all going to pan out. I mean, I'm bringing up a story that happened over 40 years ago. But Kathy jumped right back to that day without missing a beat. Okay, actually, let me start the night before. Um, Bev called and asked me to watch the children the next day, um, for a couple hours so that she could go meet someone. And I asked her who, and she told me, and I actually told her it wasn't a very good idea to meet her. Everything Kathy tells me lines up exactly with what she told the police over 40 years ago from the search warrant. It's pretty incredible. And, you know, I get it. I get why she didn't think something was wrong. You know when people tell you they felt something coming, like there was some kind of energy that hit them when something awful was occurring at the same time unbeknownst to them? Well, this day wasn't that for Kathy. It was just another ordinary day doing something she'd done dozens of times before. And so Kathy didn't really have much reason to worry until it became all too apparent that something terrible had happened. Something that would remain a mystery for another 35 years.
The Chafee County Sheriff's Office has started a new search for Beverly England, a mother who disappeared 36 years ago. They will spend this week digging near Mount Shivano looking for her remains. England was last seen in 1980. The case went cold, and then three years ago, a major break. The FBI brought in, and last year, they searched the area where her remains were found. The sheriff says he believes this case is ready for a jury. Investigators have a prime suspect. Until 2015, it was a huge mystery as to what even happened to Beverly England on that summer day back in 1980. There was speculation that she ran away or even drowned in the river. Her husband, Dale, who was the one that called the police the night she disappeared, lived in a cloud of suspicion from the community and police department. It was like for the longest time, Beverly had just vanished. But before getting into the details of 2015, we have to go back to the early 90s. 1992. A guy living in Salida, Gil West, drives over to the bottom of a cliff just off the base of Mount Shabano, a nearby mountain. At the time, this area was used as a makeshift dump site, a place where people dumped washers or ripped up couches. And then, amongst all the junk, Gil stumbles across bones. Human bones. Specifically, a lower mandible, or jawbone. Gil West was a, uh, a unique character. Uh, he was uh, maybe in the wrong era. He was definitely from the Wild West side of things, uh, and uh, hence his name, I suppose. And I'm not sure that was his real name. <laughs> but, uh, you know, uh, back then, I think Salida may have been a place where people could come and disappear if they needed to. This is Stu Pappenfort. He's lived in Salida for a long time and pretty much knows everyone in town from back in the day. He helped search for Beverly on the river shortly after she was declared a missing person. While digging around with this story, I wanted to find someone who personally knew the guy that found the human bones on the base of Mount Chavano in 1992. Once I got a name, I pretty much just asked everyone if they had ever heard of a Gil West. When I asked Stu, seeing that he's lived here for nearly over I don't know, two decades. He just chuckled and said, yeah, I knew Gil West. But uh, he owned a uh, pool hall on First Street, right across the street from uh, uh, the arts and crafts store that I worked in. I lived upstairs over that, and there were some rowdy times at the uh, pool hall. And you could look out the living room windows of the upstairs apartment there, look down at the pool hall, and pretty well observe what was going on right through the windows because it had big storefront windows on it. I remember one time in particular, uh, Gil, I think, had probably been drinking a little too much and uh, got a little wild and came outside and started shooting his pistol off in the air. And uh, being right across the street from it um, and above it, I just kind of got down with my nose on the windowsill and said, Gil, stop that. Don't do that anymore. You're going to hurt somebody. That didn't slow him down much. Back to that day in 1992, Gil reports the bones to the sheriff, who sends them to the Chafee County coroner. From the coroner's office, they're sent to a prominent forensic pathologist, Dr. Michael Hoffman, 
who was also a professor in Colorado at the time. Michael Hoffman authored a report indicating the bones showed damage from carnivore activity and that they were probably from one adult female estimated to be around 48 years old, give or take 14 years. And this is what kind of bewilders me. After the report, the bones discovery pretty much loses any peaked interest. I mean, this was an opportunity to connect a cold case of a missing person from 12 years prior, and it just slipped through the cracks. The coroner gave Dr. Hoffman the bones for teaching purposes, as long as they were kept in a locked and secure location. The bones would sit in Michael Hoffman's lab for over 20 years. That is, until he died and his lab was cleaned out. Upon cleaning out the lab, someone from the college comes across a box of bones labeled Chafee County, the county Salida is in. They call the Chafee County Sheriff's Office, and in 2014, the bones are sent to a forensic lab for DNA testing. Beverly, England disappeared in 1980, and it's not until 2015 that the remains found by Gil West come up as a match for her two children. A cold case that's raised so many questions for over three decades is reopened. And this time, with the prime suspect. Yeah, I've got the whole file here from like day one when she was first reported missing. Not in order. <laughs> this is Arlene. She just retired from Salida's local newspaper, the Mountain Mail, and moved to Salida one year before Beverly England disappeared. She is the epitome of kick-ass small-town journalism. She has sandy beige hair, and it kind of matches her living room carpet. This is her third time retiring from the paper, and other reporters there told me she always comes back. Arlene said, no, this time it's for good. But I saw her name in the byline of last week's paper. Anyways, she's been covering this story since it happened. Well, I first met Beverly when I was working at the hospital, and she was a patient. And I got to know her because she had this hobby of making dollhouses. And she was crocheting a little tiny thing looked like a postage stamp and asked her what it was and she said it was a bedspread for this so we got talking about that and I was working for the newspaper then at the time also and I asked her if I could do a story about the dollhouse hobby and that was how I first met her and then she disappeared. From talking to people about this story the ones who were around Salida in 1980 and remember it Beverly was just another mom in town. She had two young kids her husband taught English in the middle school. She made dollhouses, liked to go on camping trips, baked birthday cakes. But there was this other side to her, too. She wasn't just this cookie-cutter housewife. When I looked through Arlene's files, I came across an old article from the local paper's archives, published before Beverly disappeared. It was a mugshot. She had been arrested for shoplifting. And to get more at the heart of the story, there was something pretty significant going on behind closed doors, too. Well, I was real surprised to find out about the affair thing because the little bit I knew her, she talked about her family and her husband and her church and how much those things meant to her. And uh, she just seemed like a 
kind of a typical housewife and mother and, and church person. And I was surprised when I found out about the affair thing. The day Beverly England disappeared on June 12th in 1980, she supposedly met a woman at a park, the same park where her car was found. And a witness even told police she saw the women together at a donut shop earlier that morning. This mystery woman was the wife of the man Beverly was having an affair with. According to interviews from the search warrant, Beverly was working at a local mining company at the time, most likely as a receptionist. She and some co-workers would carpool to work together, and this is where she met Steve, the man she'd soon start to have an affair with. According to a friend of Beverly, she had plans to end it, although Steve wanted Beverly to leave her husband, and Steve planned to leave his wife. The friend also explained that Beverly tried to end the affair before, but Steve would drive past her house or continue to call her. When I first found out about the affair, I assumed it was top secret, at least from their respective spouses. But after reading the search warrant and interviewing people, it became clear that Beverly's husband and Steve's wife knew about their infidelity. So that day at the park, Beverly met the wife of Steve, who she was having an affair with. So I guess the main question points to why? Why was she meeting her in the first place? Isn't this the exact person you'd want to avoid? And when Beverly dropped her kids off with Kathy earlier that morning, Kathy even told her it was a bad idea. To me, she was, I loved her to death, but she was kind of flighty, you know, bubbling, flighty. Never quite knew where she was going, what she was going to do. I didn't know anything was going on with another man for quite some time. Again, this is Kathy Smith, the friend that Beverly dropped her kids off with the day she disappeared. No matter what else she did, she loved her children. You know, when we found out everything and she had stopped the affair, then she said, um, I said, are you quitting? And she said, yes, let me give my marriage another chance. I said, fine. That's why I wasn't quite sure why she was going to meet this lady, except that she thought this is what she told me. She wanted to meet her in person, and she wanted to apologize in person for what had happened. To clarify, there's Beverly England and her husband, Dale. And then there's Beverly's co-worker, Steve and his wife, Mitzi. Beverly and Steve begin an affair, and from Kathy's account, Beverly had all intentions to end it, to start over, to try and salvage her marriage. So from the search warrant, from interviews with witnesses and Kathy Smith, the babysitter, all accounts say that Beverly was with Mitzi the day she disappeared, and that perhaps Mitzi was the last person to ever see Beverly. Mitzi was seven months pregnant when she met up with Beverly that day in the park. And the day after Beverly goes missing, Mitzi is flown to St. Joseph's Hospital in Denver for a premature birth. In the days after Beverly's disappearance, law enforcement tries to contact Mitzi to interview her as to what may have happened that day. They find out she's in a Denver hospital after giving birth to a baby boy and that she can't be reached. And so about two weeks after Beverly goes missing, and Mitzi is still in the hospital, a Salida police officer drives to the hospital in Denver to finally interview Mitzi. 
This is her account. I'll do a little bit of a break and then yeah. read the next paragraph. And you'll take it from there. This is Rick. He's a volunteer DJ at Cahen, and he's helped me a lot with this story. His archaeologist cousin visited for a week, and we all drove to the mountain where the bones were found back in the early 90s. Sometimes we go at it, but it helps having someone on the story who knows about everyone in town. You might hear his voice in the background of some of the interviews. Again, this is Mitzi's account of June 12th in 1980, the day Beverly disappeared. Rick's reading it straight from the search warrant. According to the report, Mitzi explained that they, presumably Mitzi and Beverly, met at the doctor's office and Beverly left her car at the park because she did not want her husband to see it. Mitzi explained that they drove around in her truck and Beverly... According to Mitzi, who is telling a police officer her account of that day from the Denver hospital in 1980, she did meet Beverly the day she disappeared. She tells the officer they met at the doctor's office and Beverly parked her car at Riverside Park because she didn't want her husband, Dale, to see it downtown. Mitzi explains the two drove around in her truck and Beverly told her where to go. They drive around for a bit and eventually begin arguing about Mitzi's husband, Steve, who is having an affair at the time with Beverly. Mitzi then tells the officer she and Beverly fought at an unknown location, somewhere near water. Mitzi then tells the officer that Beverly cut her with a bottle and she passed out. When she woke up, Beverly was gone. Mitzi says she got in her truck and drove to her aunt and uncle's house in town. Now some information on Mitzi, the wife of Steve, and the woman Beverly met the day she disappeared to allegedly apologize for the affair. I asked a lot of people if they knew her. Salida is all within close driving distance to towns like Swatch and Monta Vista, all places I heard Mitzi either lived or grew up in at some point before living in Salida. And from what I could tell, she has no social media, no Facebook, no selfies on Google Images that pop up. When I asked a lot of residents who have lived here since even before 1980, no one really knew her. But then I found Dixie. And through a friend of a friend, Rick and I even had to drive to the car dealership in town and ask the owner for Dixie's cell phone number. Through a slew of small town connections, he had it. And so this is Dixie. She grew up with Steve's family in Sawatch. She met Mitzi after Steve married her. And she's about the only person I could find to tell me what Mitzi was like. Yeah, she was short. She was petite. Um, she wore glasses. She had darker hair about down to her shoulders. She was always a very personable, happy person, too. But her and Steve seemed to have a you know really good relationship. She was just always with him. They were just a couple that did everything together. Like, you never really saw him doing things with buddies. She was never thing, did things with girlfriends. She was always with him. But she always seemed kind of jealous of him because he was very teasing with everybody. You know, females, males, everybody alike. And she just always seemed to be always by his side and... After that interview with Mitzi in the Denver hospital, 
the case pretty much goes cold. There's speculation Beverly drowned that day in the river, or she ran away with another secret lover. The Salida Police Department intermittently interviewed the witnesses years after, once in 2002, then again in 2010. It just seems forgotten, and at best, poked at every few years. And so when the bones found on Mount Chauvineau are finally tested and matched with Beverly in 2015, the case is reopened. They know it was a murder. They know there was foul play involved. And more information comes to light. Now, there's one account, perhaps the most crucial of that day, on June 12th in 1980. It's an account that, from what I can tell, completely slipped through the cracks in the days and years after Beverly went missing. When I read the new search warrant, which states this interview took place in 2015, I was shocked. How had this information been kept under the radar for 35 years? This account, the one that seemingly comes to light in 2015, is from Mitzi's aunt, Bonnie. Now, we know from interviews that Mitzi even told the police she drove to her aunt and uncle's house after she passed out in the woods that day. I'm having my friend restate everything that Mitzi's aunt, Bonnie, told the police in 2015. Well, Mitzi dropped off her son with me that morning on July 12, 1980. She told me she had to go to a doctor's appointment and would come back later to pick him up. Well, noon came around and Mitzi never showed up, so I called the doctor's office, but they told me she had already left. Mitzi's son started asking about her, and I was worried. I knew Mitzi was about seven months pregnant, too. Well, about three hours later, Mitzi shows up. She's driving her blue pickup truck. She's alone. Mitzi comes in, hysterically crying, and I asked her what happened. She tells me she can't remember. Oh, she had scrapes on her knees and elbows and a cut on her leg. I told her the cut on her leg might need stitches, but she refused to go to the doctor. So I bandaged her up myself. I also saw she had a lot of cacti on her backside, like she'd been dragging something and kept falling on her back. There was blood all over Mitzi's clothing, more blood on her than just from cuts alone. Mitzi asked me to wash her clothes, and I did. I then put Mitzi in a bath and began picking the cactus quills out of her back. Later that day, Mitzi finally told me some information. She had told me she met Beverly at a park, and the two of them drove in Mitzi's truck to talk about the affair, about Steve. Mitzi told me she remembered driving over a bridge, and the next thing she remembers is waking up on her back, lying on the ground. When she woke up, she told me she saw Beverly getting into another car and driving away. While Mitzi was still in the bathtub, she called out to my husband asking him to clean her truck seat. I walked outside with my husband and we saw about a gallon's worth of blood on the passenger seat. I don't remember seeing any blood in the driver's seat. My husband took the seat covers, brought them to the laundromat and washed them. Well, a few years passed and Mitzi still had the truck. I remember an officer knocking on my door asking questions about Mitzi in the blue pickup truck. When he left, I called Mitzi and told her the police were asking about her car. I learned not long after, Mitzi sold it. All right, here we are. Let's get out and take a look. As you can tell, that's definitely 400 feet. About a month ago, Rick, his archaeologist cousin Mark, and I drove up to the base of Mount Chavano. 
Using descriptions from the search warrant and what Mark calls triangulation with a 3D map of the mountain, we were pretty confident we found the spot where Beverly's remains were initially found in 1992. It was surreal. The area was so clean and calming. We passed a couple camper vans with dirt bikes on the way up. You looked out on a sea of pinion trees and shrubs. It was sunny. It was hard to imagine someone coming here to dispose of a dead body. But then again, there used to be an illegal dump site at the base of this cliff, so I guess it's fair to say it's changed a lot. Visually, can you describe the just what we're looking at? You have a very, very steep embankment here, very steep, and it drops at least three to four hundred feet. And uh, there's rocks. Um, clearly, if something was rolling, moving, it would go all the way down. Clearly, and that's what they said they found it about four hundred feet down the spot where the bones were. So. It is very, very steep. I would not want to walk down that. No way. No, you would just roll. Yeah, you would slip it in. Salida is a small Colorado mountain town. There's an S that lights up at night on the top of a hill that sits in the center of town. And every few seconds, it changes to a red heart. You'll walk at night and see a glowing heart in the sky. And the places that were important to the search warrant, to Beverly's life, it's weird walking by them. They're still here. Kathy Smith's house, the Temple Baptist Church, certainly Mount Chavano. Take Riverside Park, for instance. This is the park where Beverly's car was found the day she disappeared, with her shoes and purse still inside. I couldn't imagine anything too clandestine happening here. It's the center of rafting and beer festivals, there's a summer stage set up. There are large trees offering respites of shade where toddlers and hipsters alike sprawl out in. It wasn't until I spoke with Arlene, the longtime Salida reporter, that I found Riverside Park was apparently sketchy back in the day, as was the river itself. Kids were told not to go there, and men gathered a day drink out of half-empty bottles. And so I wanted to hear another perspective— a perspective that could shed light on this entire situation from back then. I wanted to hear from Beverly's daughter, Brisha, and hear her side of things. What it was like to only be five years old when her mom vanished. What it was like growing up in Salida with rumors about your own mother's disappearance. Up until 2015, all I knew is that she was a missing person. I knew in my heart of hearts, my gut, that she was gone because we were sewn at her hips. We went everywhere with her. And so no matter what would have happened, she would have found a way to contact us. Risha is now 47 years old. She was only five when Beverly went missing. She told me she used to self-medicate, even went to jail for a bit. She has kids, but feels like her relationship with them is strained. Her hair is gelled and in a loose ponytail, and she's wearing blue eyeliner. As we're talking, she nervously shakes her car keys. It's been over four decades since her mom went missing, and you can see the loss and sadness on her face like it was yesterday. Because you're five years old, and this thing happens. And, I mean, I was constantly with her. I was daddy's little angel, mom's little girl. And then the next day, you know, or that day, you know, um, mom 
I don't know, is not coming back. And I don't know that she's not coming back. And my dad is there physically, but mentally, emotionally, maybe shut down to me. So that was really rough. But um, as a five-year-old little girl, you've got all these questions and all these emotions and no direction and no outlet for them. You've got, if she's alive, you've got all these questions and emotions. You know, you're mad. Well, who are you mad at? Somebody for doing something to her or her for taking off. I mean, and there's no guidance there. I mean, I internalized everything. I wasn't allowed to talk about it. And I did some damage. Brisha has a warm glow to her. From our conversation, you can tell Beverly was a central part of her life. And the more memories she tells us of her mom, the more she seems to open up. The memories, I imagine, are like a comfortable blanket, even if that comfort only lasts a few minutes. She was an awesome mom. She was great. Um, she would make her dresses. She'd make me the same dress. And then my doll, she'd make the same dress too. She was in the doll houses. Um, and I got to help her uh, pick out the linoleum and the carpet and the wallpaper. We'd go down to, I think it was Grover's Florentile back then. She'd get the sample books and we'd do up her dollhouse. And then once it was done, I could move one room around a day. I mean, I knew that it was you know, priceless. From what Brisha tells me, the whole case was pretty hush-hush growing up. She told me no one ever really sat her down to discuss it. She said her dad, Dale, who passed away in 2019, emotionally shut down, wouldn't talk to her, or offer any kind of emotional support. The day Beverly went missing, Brisha told me all she remembers is getting dropped off with Kathy, the babysitter, and her mom never showing up. She then told me about a time back in the 90s, when she accidentally met Mitzi for the first time. She was sitting in a doctor's office in Salida, the same doctor's office Mitzi told the police she met Beverly the day she went missing. They had just started using a clipboard for people to sign in while they sat in the waiting room. So I sat and I watched a couple of people go to Dr. Leonardi and a couple to Dr. Sandell and then a couple to Dr. Mijos. And I'm like, well, Jesus, should be my time. And I'd been sitting here talking to a couple and uh, I go up there and I look at the clipboard. Right below her name on the clipboard is Mitzi and Steve. Brisha looks around the waiting room. They're the only couple in there. And she realizes it's the Mitzi and Steve she's read about for years, ever since she read the search warrant when she was 15 years old. My heart sank and came out. My guts were just like, what? And I look around the waiting room because I knew there was only one, one couple in there. It was a couple I'd been sitting there talking to for like 45 minutes. And that's the place that it all started. So, I mean, I lost my everything. I just walked out. I couldn't handle it. I had been talking to my mom's killer for 45 minutes. Again, it was hard to track down any real information on Mitzi. I couldn't find classmates she went to school with who were willing to talk to me. No social media. It was pretty clear she no longer lived in Salida. But then I came across some voting records with her husband's name on it. There was an address. A town in the San Luis Valley, about an hour and a half from Salida. And so Rick and I, probably not in our best judgment, went to go knock on her door, see if she'd talk to us. Okay, we are one minute away. I think it's that. This one? Blue house. Or one, yeah, I mean. I don't see the street side. You make a left. We're oh, basically yeah, here. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, so, oh, wow, I'm really nervous. My name's Jesse. This is Rick. Uh -huh. Can you can you sorry, can you hear me? Yeah. Okay. Um, we're just with uh sorry, do you mind opening the door? Oh, what did you need? We're with Payton Radio in Salida and we've been talking to uh Brisha and Kale. Oh, I'm sorry, and okay. I know but just Mitzi looked good, healthy. She had dark brown hair, black eyeliner. She was all dressed up. She's pretty and surprisingly really short, like 5'2 or something. Honestly, it was like seeing a character out of a book. I'd read so much about her with no photos, no social media. Was finally able to put a face to the name. And it's safe to say she shut the door pretty quick once we mentioned Brisha's name. We did it. <laughs> we didn't get very far. No, but. and I wanted her to open the door so I could hear her with my mic, but uh, that wasn't going to happen. I mean, we can't knock again. She wouldn't answer the door. No, that's all we can do. I don't know. Should I have said something else? I was honestly really caught off guard, and I shouldn't have been considering that's what we came here to do, but oh my god, I was so nervous. Mitzi's husband, Steve, passed away in October of 2021. Brisha's older brother, Kale, went into law enforcement and was a police officer for over two decades, citing his mother's case as a reason for going into the profession. No one has ever been tried for the murder of Beverly England. When the case was reopened in 2015, the Chafee County Sheriff said they had a prime suspect residing in the San Luis Valley area. Sheriff Speezy has been vocal about putting together a grand jury, but in 2016, a year after the DNA from the remains found on Mount Chavano were tested and matched for Beverly, the district attorney at the time decided there would be no convening of a grand jury because of a lack of evidence. She said the decision was final. When I began reporting on this story, I wanted to know if it was still possible to bring a case together. Chafee County has a new district attorney, Linda Stanley, and after weeks of calling her office and email exchanges, I finally asked her, are you planning on putting together a grand jury? She wouldn't talk to me over the phone, but she replied from her iPhone, a brief, yes. Brisha is skeptical. She's been here before and politics surrounding a grand jury are immense funding, temporary job replacement of the district attorney, all for a case that's pretty much lost community interest, especially after the 2020 Morphew case, another mom in Salida who went missing at the start of the pandemic on Mother's Day. Her body still hasn't been found. When I spoke with Beverly's son, Kale, he told me to thank Arlene, the longtime Salida Mountain Mail reporter, for keeping this story alive. She'd write anniversary articles from five years after Beverly went missing and kept writing about it until she retired. 
I was really disappointed that it didn't go to a grand jury because I thought, good, we're finally going to get this solved. But then after the DA explained how much it costs for a grand jury and that there wasn't, she thought there wasn't sufficient evidence to go ahead with the grand jury, I could understand her point. Mm-hmm. But I was disappointed. I, I thought, good, we're finally going to get this resolved. And this has been 43 years now. Mm-hmm. And uh, I thought I would not retire from the newspaper until we had a story about Beverly England's killer was brought to justice, but it still hasn't happened. Risha is still waiting for her mother's remains. They're still considered evidence. And from what she can tell, a grand jury for the case of her mother is unlikely. You know, maybe we're not meant to find out. Maybe it's hard to swallow. Maybe it's not supposed to be justice in this lifetime, but that's hard. It's a hard pill to swallow. In the meantime, Brisha has the memories of her mom, of when she baked her two Holly Hobby cakes one to take to school, one for home, how she made matching dresses for her and her doll, and going hiking on St. Elmo, and then getting a greasy lunch at Sonic with a mayonnaise-loaded corn dog. It was that last summer um, that she was alive. I do remember um, a couple of times we would go to uh, St. Elmo, eat the chipmunks and squirrels, and she would always take me to Sonic, and I'd always get a corn dog and always mayonnaise, so to this day... When I get a corn dog, I only eat mayonnaise on it. Only ever eat mayonnaise. And up until her remains were found, that was the only place I could really feel her, really sense her was St. Elmo. But I go up to Chavano quite often and I just sit there and feel at peace. I have her angel on the back of my truck always. That's got her name and her dates. She's always with me. For Cahen Community Radio, I'm Jesse Dresch. The Salida Police Department and Chafee County Sheriff declined my request for an interview. Colorado's 11th District Attorney, Linda Stanley, declined my request for an interview. The case of Beverly, England is still open.